Hello, and welcome to the Enduring Sound Doctrine podcast. I'm your host, Chris Roberts Sr., and I want to thank you again for tuning in with us. But let's go ahead and start with the word of prayer. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, we just thank you for yet another day. We thank you for another opportunity to hear your word. Open the ears of our heart and let us get an understanding. In these things we pray in Jesus' name. All right, so last week we talked about the definitions of the word doctrine itself. The definition in the Hebrew and the definition in the Greek. And in the three different Greek definitions, the one thing that tied them together was teaching or instilling. And it was from the root didasko, to instill doctrine. Uh, We also uh, touched on the Hebrew meaning of the word doctrine. And there's two words for that. One is lakak. And what's significant about that is that the same letters that make up that word are the same letters that make up the word for married. And when we read in Ephesians 5 and 20, Paul speaks of a mystery concerning the church and their marriage with Jesus Christ. The book of Revelations paints a beautiful picture of this marriage, I believe, in the 19th chapter. Uh, The other Hebrew word for the word doctrine is shemuah. And when you put those letters together, shen, mem, vav, ayin, and he, and we've discussed in detail about uh, the Hebrew lettering and how they were originally pictographs. And when you look at those, the picture of that word, it means what comes from an experience joined with the name. What comes from an experience joined with the name. And so this Hebrew word for doctrine uh, paints a picture of, of baptism, uh, baptism in Jesus' name, which was carried out by all of the apostles in the book of Acts. And that's really what I want to touch on today, is the apostles' doctrine. In the New Testament, when you see the word doctrine, the only thing that it's attached to is the apostles' doctrine. Um, You know, Jesus says, uh, test my doctrine in the seventh chapter of John. But however, when Paul writes and when you see in the book of Acts, uh, he ta- they, they only ascribe the word apostolic to the word doctrine. I'm not saying um, that apostolic doctrine is the only doctrine mentioned in the Bible. But what I'm saying is when, they, when it comes to salvation and when it comes to what is taught, what, is, what was instilled, it was the apostolic doctrine. It's apostolic because it came from the apostles. And these apostles were sent by Jesus Christ himself in the person, including including Paul. Um, <clears throat> so the name of this podcast, of course, is Enduring Sound Doctrine. And we've uh, defined doctrine. Uh, last week, we also defined sound. Sound means void of error in this usage, sound doctrine. So your doctrine, what you're teaching, has to be void of error has to be void of confusion. It must be stable. It must be consistent in order for the listeners and the followers to be able to follow it. 
And a sound doctrine, that's why a sound doctrine is important. There can't be any wavering or any jostling. It has to be stable on a firm foundation. The sixth chapter of the book of Hebrews lays out what that foundational doctrine is and the principles of that doctrine. But what makes it sound is if it's rooted in the word. What makes it sound is if it cannot be refuted. And the whole purpose of everything I'm trying to do here, of what we're trying to do, trying to teach, is with teaching without any error, teaching the word unfiltered, and getting a full understanding. And all thine getting, getting understanding. That's in Proverbs. So a sound doctrine is important because, as Paul warned in the 20th chapter of Acts, and he warned uh, throughout Timothy that times are going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Times are going to come when grievous wolves will enter in among us, and they'll try to snatch away what has been taught. We already know that uh, there's been deviation from what the apostles established in the book of Acts. A lot of people don't believe in water baptism in Jesus' name, even though that's clearly laid out nine times in the, in the book of Acts. This was the foundation of the first Christian church, if you will. The followers of Christ baptized in water in Jesus' name. That's what was done. And now you get, we're in a day and age where not only do they not baptize, but if they do baptize, baptizing in Jesus' name is foreign for whatever reason. But here, our mission here is to bring that back. We call ourselves Christians. We should be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's not my words. That's Paul's words. Galatians 3 and 27. For as many as put on Christ have been baptized into Christ. Now, again, I like to quote directly, so I'm going to turn to it. I didn't have it pulled up. Galatians 3 and 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In the sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians, he names all the types of people that will not make it into heaven. And when he's done naming those, and naming those sins, he says, such were some of you, but you've been washed in the name. You must have his name. I mentioned about a marriage. In the natural, when we get married, the wife takes on the husband's name. The bride takes on the bridegroom's name. We are the bridegroom of Christ. These are not my words again. This is straight from the Bible. This is why we must have sound doctrine. All of these rituals and all of these things that we add to the Bible are not necessary. These religious acts, these religious titles, they're not necessary. And if they're taking away from doctrine, then they're almost demonic in nature 
because that's what the Satan desires to do. You read Luke 4, Matthew 4, you'll see he tried to pervert the word to get to tempt Jesus. But Jesus was the word and couldn't be tempted. Okay? So to me, uh, to me, to me, this is clear. And like I said, the purpose of why I'm even doing this is because I want it to be clear to everyone else. So what does it mean? What does it mean to endure? This is the Hebrew word yashab. It means to sit or to remain. It means you stay there. You stay put. You stay put. No matter what's going on around, no matter what people say, you stay put. You're sitting or standing on what you believe in. You're standing on what is right. That's what it means to endure. It means when, when everyone else, when everyone else is changing, when everyone else is saying, you know what, I don't think that's necessary anymore. You know what, baptism in his name, you can be baptized in Father, Son, Holy Ghost. You know what, Father, Son, Holy Ghost are actually names. And people say things, but they're not rooted in word, and you go along with them, that's not enduring. That's not enduring. Enduring means that you're standing pat. You're not going to move. You will stay still. You know, Peter had a, had a shortcoming with endurance. Shortly after Jesus was arrested, they accused him of being with Jesus. The woman said, certainly you knew him. And he denied Jesus three times and cursed. Certainly he could have endured. And then whatever consequence came, he was willing and ready to suffer. You see, um, I mean, this phrase enduring sound doctrine comes from what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy Chapter 2 and verse 3. Therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This word endure here is the Greek word hypomeneo. It means to remain behind after everyone else has left. We must endure hardness. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. And he likens it as unto a soldier. Now, I've never, I've never been in the armed forces, and I've never had to literally fight a battle. But throughout all their training, a soldier that gets in the middle of a battle does not throw down their weapon and run away. Not after they've been trained, not after they understand the fight and what they're fighting for. They remain behind, even when all of their, their allies have left. They will remain behind. The same thing applies in the body of Christ. Even when so-called followers of Jesus Christ change their mind and they change their doctrine, we must remain. I saw a beautiful video of a pastor teaching about baptism. And he said that there are three baptisms 
and that uh, Jesus wants to baptize you. Now, he did say Jesus wants you to have his name, and that part I liked, but he complicated baptism to the point where you couldn't recognize it from the Bible. And the sad thing is, is that he was using the Bible. But in our example, our example is the Bible. And when you see in the Bible, the apostles shared the word with the soon-to-be believer. One example is in the ninth chapter of Acts with the eunuch. He read to him from the book of Isaiah. And the eunuch himself, after reading this and getting expounded to by Philip, said, what forbids me? What's prohibiting me from being baptized? Here's water. What's stopping me? And Philip said, if you believe, then you may. And he said, I confess. He confessed with his mouth. He said, I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they both went down into the water. Another thing that, that baffles me is how we, uh, um, I read a commentary on that verse, and it said that uh, they didn't go down in the water when the, the word clearly says they went down in the water. But it says, I'm sorry, that's the eighth chapter of Acts, not the ninth chapter. Verse 36, and they went on their way and came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Verse 37, and Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And he baptized him, I'm sorry. So you see there that uh, the eunuch confessed with his mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, but yet and still he had to be baptized in water. Now, someone a naysayer would say, well, it doesn't say what name he baptized in. Well, if you go back a couple of verses, Philip was already in Samaria baptizing. Baptizing in verse 16, for as of yet, he, the Holy Ghost, was not fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I like that usage of the word only there. Because some churches have it right. They water baptized, even if they baptize in the name of Jesus, but they stop right there. They don't require the infilling or dwell, indwelling of the Holy Ghost. Now, churches, that's not up to churches to require. Churches should not require people to do anything. What churches should require is that people read and understand the word. Because you'll get a lot of people saying that baptism is a church ordinance. Baptism has nothing to do with the four walls of a church. I just read to you where the eunuch was baptized and they were in a chariot and then came to a water. So it had nothing to do with the church. There were no bylaws and, doc and documents. He didn't give them a certificate afterwards. And I'm not, I'm not teaching against that. But I'm, my point is, is that baptism was not established by a church building, a church organization. Baptism was established by the word of God, by Jesus Christ himself. And, the, and I believe I mentioned this before, is that baptism 
is a shadow, is a shadow of what took place in the Old Testament. Moses, Moses' name means drawn out of water. Moses and the Israelites went through the Red Sea. Paul says that they were baptized unto Moses in the cloud, and a, a, a cloud following by day, and a rock that followed them was Christ. That's the name. Peter said, now doth baptism now doth save us, even as eight souls were saved by water in the days of Noah. No, the story of Noah is a figure, is a figure of baptism. That's 1 Peter 3 and 20 and 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. You'll hear me tell those both of those stories quite a bit, especially when we when we get to talking about baptism. But right now I'm talking about enduring, enduring this doctrine. Enduring this doctrine of baptism in Jesus' name. Repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Ghost. So let's dive right into that. What is the apostolic doctrine? Well, the most famous verse, the most famous verse of that is in the second chapter of Acts. Verse 38, then Peter, well, let me back up to verse 37. Now, when they heard this, Peter just preached a message. They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Herein is the uh, easiest verse to point to to uh, outline or describe the apostolic doctrine. If you read a little bit further, verse forty-one. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So there's a few things here. First of all, when they heard Peter's message, they were pricked in their heart, and that caused them to be baptized, about 3,000 of them. Now, that's quite a bit. That's quite a bit. What isn't detailed is how it was done. But what Luke writes, Luke is the author of the book of Acts, what Luke writes and records is that 3,000 souls were baptized. Another thing um, is that Peter's message was not just for them that day. He said, for the promises unto you and to your children and to them, all them that are far off, even as many as our Lord, our God, shall call. So the promise is for everyone. And those that have a calling and unctioning to get baptized and to get saved and to receive Jesus Christ, those people must be baptized in his name and receive the Holy Ghost. So this apostle's doctrine... This apostle's doctrine was given to them by Jesus Christ. Uh, the word apostle itself means one who is sent, 
Well, when did Jesus send him? Well, you see it at the end of each gospel where Jesus, after Jesus resurrected from the dead, uh, he gives what many refer to as the Great Commission, telling them to go out and make disciples, baptizing in the name, singular, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. One name, three different titles that have that name. We all know simple English, and of means in addition to, and of means in possession of. So the Father has a name, the Son has a name, and the Holy Ghost has a name. We know when Gabriel visited Mary, she told him, or he told her, that you will bear a son and shall call his name Jesus, so he, for he shall save his people from their sins. He also told her that that is uh, which is in you. Uh, there again, I'm going to have to quote it, but is conceived of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost is also the father. In John 10 and 30, he said, I and my father are one. In the 14th chapter, he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. And he said, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the father will send in my name. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When, he, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. She was found of child of the Holy Ghost. Again, that means the Holy Ghost is the Father. Verse 25, and, her, and knew her not until she had brought forth their firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. All right. As if there was any doubt what that name is, but the Bible spells it out clearly. So the apostles' doctrine. So when were they sent? Well, actually, during the ministry of Jesus, he sent them out and he gave them the authority. Now, this is what's what I like about this. The first two verses of Matthew chapter 10. And when he had called unto them his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now, the names, plural of the 12 apostles are these. If you go back to verse one, he said he had called unto him his 12 disciples. Matthew makes a very clear distinction there in verse one and verse two. In verse one, they were still disciples. However, as they're being sent, he calls them apostles. To me, that should not fall in the realm of insignificance. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, 
and Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, and Lebaeus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not in the way of the Gentiles, and into any city in the Samaritans enter ye not, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So here he's sending them into Israel. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. And he gives them their instructions. So uh, that's the book, uh, Gospel According to Matthew. Now, when we go to Acts chapter 1, this is Jesus talking, chapter 1, verse 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times nor the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. The disciples asked him, uh, Lord, will, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom of of?" Uh, the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom to Israel, sorry. But ye shall receive power, this is Jesus talking, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and throughout the uttermost part of the earth. This Holy Ghost was not just for those on the day of Pentecost. This Holy Ghost was for those in the uttermost part of the earth. Now it began in Jerusalem, then to Judea, and then Samaria. We see Samaria in chapter 8. That's where Philip was. And then Philip eventually spread it to Africa by witnessing to that eunuch who worked for the queen. We don't get a record of what actually took place in Africa. But we are certain that this eunuch, who was very close to the queen, shared his gospel message with her. And whatever the religion the queen or monarch was, that's what most likely the people were. So um, Jesus made sure that his gospel story would get everywhere. It was for everybody, and it was meant to go everywhere. So, you know, um, a lot of people will say, well, Paul did not preach this doctrine. However, when you read, well, let's go to easily where to debunk that right away is Ephesians. Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Nineteen. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple unto the Lord. Holy temple in the Lord. So this doctrine is built upon the apostles and prophets. When you read the book of Acts in chapter 16, the jailer, which was about to kill himself after Paul and Silas were miraculously freed from the prison, Paul had a chance to witness to them. And he baptized the jailer and his entire household. 
We also see in the 19th chapter of Acts where Paul baptized those believers in Jesus' name. They hadn't heard of the Holy Ghost, nor had they been baptized in water in Jesus' name. So Paul took the opportunity to do this for them. And so there's many other instances in the Bible where they heard the word and were baptized. And this is the doctrine that we should be teaching today. We have to teach today. There's no other doctrine to teach. All right. I pray that what was said here today touched somebody's heart and you have a little bit uh, better understanding of why a sound doctrine is important and what exactly the apostles' doctrine is. So I'll take this opportunity to close in prayer. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for what has been said today. We thank you for your word. We ask that you hide it in our heart. Lord God, let it fall on good ground, Lord God, and let it grow inside of us, Lord God, and let us remember this word, and let us get a better understanding of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Heaven smile upon you. And until the next time.